Hi, welcome to Full Metal Pod, our podcast on Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy. And how have you been this past week? Uh, this past week, um, it's, it's been pretty good. I'm kind of letting it wash over me that we're probably not going to have another convention season this year. So I'm, I'm letting that hit me now before everyone officially cancels all their cons in the summer so I can just mentally prepare. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the same place I'm in. Is like, at least in terms of conventions and traveling, I like to do some cons of my own, like uh, not necessarily the comic stuff, but like tech ones and then things, and learn some stuff. And yeah, they just this past year, there's been nothing. And I'm, you know, it makes sense because COVID and everything, and we want to quarantine people, but it also just kind of stinks that, you know, can't do all the stuff that I used to do. And some of the, like they did some, what's it called? Virtual conferences. They just don't feel the same. It just feels like being in a webinar. Like you miss a lot of that other stuff. So yeah, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. I really miss meeting new people and mingling and like talking about your favorite things. Like, you know, I feel like there's a convention for everyone and everyone's hobby or interest. So I think we can all relate to not being able to go out and do the things. Exactly. And I'm a, I'm a huge traveler too. So it's just kind of been, I mean, it's been nicer on the wallet to not travel, but I would actually like to go out and travel and see the world. So, Oh yeah. My savings account is definitely loving all this quarantine stuff. It's like, just like very nice on the wallet. Exactly. And yeah, maybe in the way I could see it, I guess, is I saved some extra money to do other fun things later in the year if things normalize or early next year. So, hey, something, something I look forward to. True. I, I feel like I'm going to go not like insane crazy when everything opens up, but I'm definitely going to take advantage of going places and doing things that I've, uh, what has it said no to before? Yeah, I think I'm, I don't even know what the first thing I'm going to do. Probably go to a restaurant, be the first thing I do when things normalize. But it's, you know, it is what it is for now. Uh, you know, I think I'll probably, depending on when things normalize, I might also try to catch a movie in a theater. Oh, man. I hope a, a great movie is going to be out in the time, like at the same time as theaters are safe to go to and open back up. Um, the trailer for Godzilla versus Kong, or is it Kong versus Godzilla? Wh- whichever way it was dropped today. And that's another movie I want, like, see the trailer. I'm like, man, that probably would look really good on a big screen. It probably would, unless they do another, like, uh, what is it? Godzilla, King of the Monsters. One of the complaints I saw about that movie was they would show the monsters, but then they'd always clip back to the humans. And so you never, you didn't actually see the monsters fight all that much. You always saw like ground level, the people running away, trying to keep out of the way and everything like that. So. Yeah. I wonder if there was a way we could just like, they could zap Godzilla and Kong into a neutral fighting zone. We could just see them brawl it out. Yeah. I mean, who goes to watch these movies to watch the people? Come on. Like, you can get no name actors for these roles and just let them fill it briefly. We, we we come to see a Godzilla movie to see Godzilla. 
we're going to see the Kong movie, we want to see Kong. We don't want to necessarily see, like, the backstory of these people's broken marriage and everything. You know, that's 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 for another movie. Though I would love to see Godzilla be like, I've come here to heal your marriage and reunite you together. That would be an awesome twist on it, is if they came back and Godzilla didn't come to like fight monsters or destroy anything. He just came to be a marriage counselor. Oh, I, I hope if that is the case, I wanted to like pull out tiny glasses and put them on and have a little notepad. Oh, I feel like that is a movie we need to write. I think that is what we need right now to get over everything that's happening. Counselor Godzilla. Exactly. I did finally cast speaking about movies of, I know it's like, where are you on this? You have Disney Plus and it's been out for a month. Why are you taking so long? But I finally caught Soul today. And I could easily turn this into a Soul podcast, so I'm not going to get into it. But I really liked that movie. I Soul for me was a roller coaster. Because at the beginning, I wasn't enjoying it as much. And then I, I started liking it a lot. Then it kind of got slow for me. But then the end, the end got me. And I was like, this is a great Pixar movie. A well-deserved Pixar movie. Yeah, Pixar rarely has any stinkers. I mean, I think universally a lot of people agree that Cars 2 was pretty bad. And I think, what was that one that came out earlier this year, which ironically kind of sort of stole the Full Metal Alchemist story? Uh, the one with the two boys whose dads die and they try to use magic to bring him back to life. Oh, Onward? Yes, there we go. I love a Pixar movie. I liked Onward a lot. But it I have a very controversial like view. I'm not a fan of Wally. I know everyone loves Wally. It just I, I'm not a big fan of Wally. Uh yeah, I could give that one to you. Like it's stuff it, I wouldn't put I I don't think it's bad, but I don't know that I'd put it in my top five Pixar films. Like Granted, I don't know that I'd go too much off of what I'd list in my top five, because some of it I think is just pure nostalgia versus whether the story was good or not. Like Toy Story 1, I'd probably put in my top five, but largely just because of the nostalgia of being eight years old again and watching that movie in the theater and everything. Uh, If I had to go Toy Story, I'd say the third Toy Story is probably the best of them all. I love Toy Story 3. Toy Story 2 makes me so depressed. That Jesse song in the middle of the movie, oh, it makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. And what else? Like, the, the fourth movie I felt was completely unnecessary. Like, I, I feel like it was just a cash grab because in terms of the actual plot like i didn't feel like it added much to the whole lore of toy story i felt like three was a perfect cap to it i i do have problems with toy toy story 4 definitely is like we didn't need it it kind of doesn't make sense and i don't know the villain is really weird because like it holds other toys hostage and it's like stealing someone's voice Spoiler, sorry guys, if you haven't seen Toy Story 4, spoilers. But I liked Toy Story 3 a lot. I just didn't like the ending. Another spoiler, but I felt like he should have kept Woody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
don't worry about spoiling a movie that's over 10 years old. No, if you haven't seen the ending by then, you you don't really care anyway. So that's like, that's like my general rule is, is if the movie is older than five years and you haven't seen it, then you probably don't care that much if it's spoiled because, it, you know, it's especially in the days of like instant streaming and stuff. It's hard to avoid seeing a movie that you want to see. Like if you didn't get to it, you just didn't want to. In five years' time. I used to be so bad at unconsciously spoiling movies for people. And just, I don't know. I would see a movie on TV and just be like, oh, man, wasn't it crazy when this thing happened? They're like, we haven't gotten to that part yet. So I'm very a spoiler kind of guy. Yeah. It's... It, it, I try my best to avoid spoiling films. I think the only film I've spoiled recently was I spoiled um, New Mutants for a friend, largely just to save them the rental cost. Because I was like, dude, I'll tell you exactly what happens. It's, it's a very paint-by-numbers movie, so you, you, you kind of figure out the plot in the first 15 minutes. And I can save you a lot of money. New Mutants is like a sore spot for me, because I love those characters so much. I think the characters are so interesting and I liked the idea of kind of a horror superhero movie, but it just didn't pay off. Mm-mm. Well, maybe next time, maybe now that Marvel has control of the X-Men and mutants and we'll see them in the MCU soon. Maybe it'll start to, we'll, we'll get a fresh start and it'll, it'll seem much better. Oh, true. I mean, Marvel is like, I feel like Marvel can do no wrong. Marvel Disney can do no wrong. And they're taking on like a mystery genre now. If you're not watching WandaVision, start watching WandaVision. Just like give it a chance. Watch the first three episodes. It is so good. Yeah. So let's get started with the podcast. Sounds good. So we are on episode number 23 of the podcast. We are going right along. We almost have like a full day's worth of podcasting recorded. Let's see. So we have two episodes. Episode 44, Revving at Full Throttle. Then episode 45, The Promise Day. And hey, we get to see Edward again. So yay. But uh, that's a little later. So let's start with episode 44, Revving at Full Throttle. In Lior, Alphonse and Hohenheim meet. Hohenheim acknowledges that it's indeed been a long time since they have seen each other. He mentions that he had spoken to Panaco and learned of, well, you know, what happened to Al's body. This is followed by a, just a really long and awkward silence. You can even, like, hear all the hammering in the background of the people trying to rebuild Lior. Some villagers appear and ask Hohenheim if he can help them. Hohenheim goes with them, but he promises to catch up later. We see that shopkeep from the first season where uh, they break the radio in Lior and Alphonse uses alchemy to fix it. So he's there and he notices Al and thanks him for fixing the radio. It's better than it's ever been before. No static. Al then apologizes because of everything that has happened in Lior. He figures, well, hey, if we didn't interfere, 
none of this would have happened. But the man says that they did good as well because they exposed a corrupt fraudster. And even though the uprising took part, it really gave them a chance to rebuild as a community and become better than they were before. So, hey, uh, that's, you know, looking on the bright side. So, ultimately, it was a net positive, if you will. Al says he will help build while Rose takes care of Winry. Zampano and Gerso, the two uh, Chimera, as well as Yoki, join the effort. We jump back to Hohenheim as he's speaking to the villagers and helping them out. They say that Hohenheim should speak to his son. Hohenheim is reluctant because, you know, he's just been out of Al's life for so long and figures that Al wouldn't trust him. However, Al shows up and volunteers to help out. He even calls Hohenheim dad. We catch up with Winry, who's taking a bath and talking back and forth with Rose between a curtain. It's not like she's in the bathroom with her or anything. Rose asks if Winry made Al's leg. Winry said she did. Rose said that she must have really been great to help Ed get back on his feet. But then Rose also pointed out that, well, you know, because she helped Ed get him back on his feet, she indirectly helped her get back on her feet because Rose was helped by Ed. Rose tells the story of how Father Cornella tricked her and made her believe that he could bring her boyfriend back from the dead and she was lost and when she learned that she was a fraud she was lost even more ed told her to stand on her own two feet well winry starts to wonder why ed just couldn't be nice rose thinks that ed was being nice because he was being so honest the town is now learning to stand on their own feet and not wait for a miracle from some fraudster or someone else. This causes Winry to kind of think longingly of Ed. In Central, we see the lizard Chimera, whose name is Beto, wandering around a tunnel. He winds up in that room where we see the artificial army, and this kind of picks up where the last episode left off, where General Armstrong is talking to the other general. And they talk about these human-like dummies. They are immortal, but they are mindlessly obedient. Armstrong asks, well, you know, you mentioned that these need souls in order to work. So where are you getting these souls? The general just kind of casually mentioned, well, we'll get them from rival lands and from foreigners. You know, this is spoils of war. When Beto hears this, he is just horrified and he runs, only to run into what I'm going to call, and the show calls, Greeling, so kind of the greed-ling hybrid. Back in Lior, Alice telling Hohenheim that he thinks there is an underground tunnel running through Lior. Hohenheim decides to talk to Al in private. Al tells Hohenheim about the countrywide transmutation circle and how he ran into a man who looked just like Father in Central City. Alphon figures that there has to be some connection, or at the very least, Hohenheim knows who he is. Hohenheim asks if Al really wants to know the truth. After all, how can Al know for sure that Hohenheim is on his side? Hohenheim loves that Al trusts him, though. So Hohenheim believes that he owes him the same level of trust. He's about to tell Al his story, but he wants Ed to be present too. Al tells Hohenheim that Ed has gone missing. We jump to some mountain village and we see a bank. One of the Chimera 
does a bank withdrawal from Edwards' bank account, and he's claiming to be a representative of Edwards. He took the money out to pay for Edwards' medical treatment and, of course, the doctor's silence. But, of course, seeing somebody make a large withdrawal from Edwards' bank account alerts the bank, and they call Central Command. While they're at this clinic, they look out the window and they notice soldiers have shown up. Of course, the bank staff routed them out. The soldiers enter the house and look around. They question the chimera. The chimera are preparing to take out the soldiers because it looks like they're not buying their story. And one of the soldiers actually does run into Edward. But Edward, I guess, looks a little different right now. And he mentions that he's looking for Edward. He has a braid, a blonde braid, a red cloak, and he's short. Naturally, Ed, hearing somebody refer to him as short, gets him angry, and he punches this guy and knocks him out. Another guard shows up, and Ed knocks him out. Then the guard that's in the room questioning one Imera, Ed actually punches through the wall and strangles him. So Ed is now back and ready for action. When Ed realizes that they were just looking for a short man with a red coat and a braid, he just kind of jokes because, like, well, this isn't really much for them to go off of. Some more soldiers come up, and so the Chimera pretend to take Ed hostage in order to escape. They steal a car, but are soon chased by Northern Command soldiers. Ed tells them to turn a corner and park, and Ed uses his alchemy to turn the car into a different-looking car, albeit an incredibly gaudy one, and it looks like they are living the life of drifters now. Ed realizes that he needs to meet up with Al, but first he needs to figure out where Al would possibly be heading. In Lior, Hohenheim just told Al his life story. Hohenheim figures that Al wouldn't believe him, but he in fact does. I mean, after all... Al himself is just a soul attached to a suit of armor. Al asks Hohenheim what it's like to not be able to die. Hohenheim mentions that it can be handy, but it's not worth watching everyone else he loves die. Al realizes that since Hohenheim is a living philosopher's stone, Ed and Al must not be entirely normal either. Hohenheim says that at his core, he is still human, even though the philosopher's stone is attached to his soul. So there is nothing to worry about. However, father is just a leather bag. His true self is still that black blob. If they destroy his body, he would likely die. Al tells Hohenheim that they need to figure out how to stop that evil that's coming. Al figures that, you know, we could just destroy the tunnel, they'll break the transmutation circle, and all will be well. But Hohenheim says it's a bad idea because a powerful homunculus named Pride is guarding. Hohenheim says that they likely completed the circle already, and Al is curious, well, if, you, if that's the case, why are you so calm? Hohenheim says it's because it's not the special day yet. Hohenheim tells Al to look up for his answer. Father is waiting for what they're calling the Day of Reckoning. Jump back into the tunnels. We catch up with Greed chasing Beto. He attacks Beto, and then Beto recognizes his use of the ultimate shield as well as his voice. He thinks that Greed is just being impersonated, but Greed confirms that he is indeed Greed. Beto says that he knew Greed, but then Greed kills him anyway because he says, sorry, I don't know you. But then Greed starts to have these flashbacks from his previous life. We see Ling's soul kind of inside of Greed, and he is asking, why would Greed kill his own friend? 
Reed insists that he's not because he's like, I've never met him before. That was the previous Greed's life. Ling says, well, why do you remember him if he isn't your friend? Ling then starts to question, why are you in so much pain and agony over all of this? Greed says that they aren't his memories, that father purged his memories. Ling says that these memories and relationships can't be rid from his soul. Ling then accuses Greed of having turned back on his friends. He says that Greed gave up on collecting things that he wanted, in this case, friends or followers, and for that reason, he doesn't deserve to be called Greed. We then see Greed screaming out in pain as he's holding Beto's body. Uh, the credits roll. Post-credit, we see the Fuhrer's house. The family's having a nice sit-down when they are disturbed by a knock at the door. They open the door, and Greed is there, and he attacks Wrath. We finally get Edward back. Ho and Hyman, Al, I've met. What were your takes on this episode? My main take on this episode, well, one of my main takes of this episode is uh, how this anime makes you feel about characters' deaths. Like, I was really feeling for Beto at the, when he got killed by his what he thought was his friend. And I think that just shows how good this anime is that a character we've seen way back a few seasons ago, and we don't really know much about him, but we know like how he felt. And at the moment when it's like he's been betrayed, I really felt that emotion and it really hit me. And I feel like this anime has been really good about really making you feel there's no senseless deaths in this anime, I believe. I agree with that. We see that, you know, this guy, uh, Beto, he still saw Greed as a friend and an ally and was just taken back by the fact that Greed murdered him. And we realize that Greed is in this place where all he's doing is following father's orders and being loyal. And, you know, he sees that while well, this guy discovering their secret is dangerous, so he chases him down and kills him. But yeah, as he kills him, he just has all of these flashbacks from his previous life. And we're led to believe that this version of Greed is completely separate from the other Greed. But this kind of confirms that they are indeed the same person. It's just that Father attempted to wipe this Greed's memories and act like it's a completely different Greed. But it's the same Greed, just with, you know, amnesia. And once all of this is over and he's able to we we see that he's able to regain his memory yes and i think for this whole episode it's like a really great callback to kind of revisiting places we've been to and people we've seen in the past because we start off this episode with al and the crew uh entering leor and they see rose and we get to see what Rose is up to now. Though we did see her last episode and kind of her doing her thing. But now we really get to sit down and talk to her. Because she has that long conversation with Winry about how her life has changed. And it's really great seeing these side characters or these, what I would say, one-off characters. And how much that how our main characters have affected them just kind of going through their lives. Yes, we see the village is now being rebuilt. They are no longer relying on somebody to come and save them. 
like that in and of itself to me is very powerful. And yeah, we're, I mean, we're just, we're seeing this whole different side of everybody. Yeah. I love the radio callback to you. That was such a small thing, but for me, it's like how the series started off. It feels like watching the first episode again, uh, seeing that radio get fixed and then hearing about the shopkeeper mm-hmm. talk about how the radio is it's better than it was before and i feel like that's kind of the metaphor the city was like the city was broken and then the brothers came through and now it's kind of better than it was yes yeah that is a very i i totally meant like i didn't miss that it happened but i totally missed that analogy just like how yeah the breath of the brothers come by things are better than they were like they like the, yeah the guy thought oh yeah the radio's working it's fine the brothers come and they knock it over and break it and then he's like hey you broke it you made it worse but then now the radio is much better than it was so yeah like it, it is seems like an indirect benefit of how the brothers actions help the city i also love them or al meeting his dad al meeting hohenheim and it feels like that was a better entry point than Ed and Al together or Ed meeting Hohenheim himself. Cause it feels like Ed has some kind has like negative feelings towards his dad or always feels like his dad would left them and abandoned the family. Well, Al seems to have kind of more of a loving feeling or uh, he has more of this uh, connection to his dad. So I love that. That's the entry point that we get in that they make this bond first. That way it's a little easier for Ed to be folded into the group. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is nice because when you compare it to the earlier episode where Ed meets uh, meets Hohenheim, albeit it's brief, and Ed just had no interest in talking to him. But yeah, when Ed meets Hohenheim in that earlier episode and they have a brief talk and Ed's not hearing any of it. So it's nice that he did get to run into Al to actually be able to talk to him and learn about his past and everything and get some good exposition on what's going on. Cause you know, Hohenheim knows everything that's happening in relation to this. So who else but him to tell you? Yes. I have two kind of really favorite moments that made me laugh out loud in this episode. And one of them is where Al tells Hohenheim, his dad, the whole plan about what's going down in central and the giant transmutation circle and everything. And his dad looks at him and it's like, well, how do you know I'm not in on this? And this is just how good the voice acting is in this anime. But when I, I voice acting and drawing, but when you see Al's face, there's no expression. There's no like anything, maybe like a few sounds. But you really feel the tension that Al's scared at this moment that maybe he did make a mistake and maybe he can't trust his father. That moment was so it was so great. And then when his dad kind of lets him off the hook, it it was the one of the top moments of this episode for me. Yes, indeed. And yeah, just that whole like you said, the fact that Al trusted him and Hohenheim was acting menacing and it was like, oh, yeah, maybe Hohenheim isn't on the right side. Like, just because we see Hohenheim's bringing a war to father doesn't necessarily mean that 
Hohenheim is on the side of Al, kind of a my enemy is my enemy is my friend setting. And I think Hohenheim was just trying to test him because I think there is still a part of Hohenheim that feels like he doesn't deserve to be called a good dad because he left and whatnot for his reasons. And yeah, it's definitely like cool to see that interaction and then also just see how Ed just straight up trusted him. It, it is. It, it's great seeing this side of Hohenheim. I'm really enjoying him as a character now and I'm really glad he's there and he's kind of being him being there is able to like walk us through or walk the other characters through what's going on without being like, Oh, we stumbled across this thing because now we have someone who's lived through it. Yes. Uh, indeed. I do like that. Like that, how this is moving forward. I also like the, um, uh, really briefly the whole Ed thing, how angry he got over being called short. Like, I think this is like one of the first times we we've seen him just legit want to beat somebody up that badly. It is great that, and that brings me to my second favorite part of this episode, whereas he beats up the, the soldiers and they're, tr- they're walking out him and uh, the two chimera guys. I think their names are Darius and Heinkel. Yeah. Um, they're walking out and then some more soldiers are like stop right there those two guys are dangerous and they look at him and they do the thing where they're like don't move or we're gonna shoot uh, Ed and one guy has a gun but the other guy uses his fingers as guns in that situation you see him like make the gun fingers at at Ed and it's hilarious and I, I love that it was a great moment it's those little things that make me happy in this anime yes that whole them trying to escape segment was amazing just Ed and like the, when they make that gaudy looking car and everything too uh, that made me laugh because you, you could tell they were just so upset it, it, and it got to highlight how gaudy it was like it wasn't like oh it looks like a normal car but, you know, just a weird color or anything. Not, he, like, I, I don't even know how to put it in a word. It looks like what you would see in maybe, like, a parade or something. Like, one of those, like, somebody would dress their car to look, or, or make their car look like a dragon. That, that's more what Hitler, he made the car look like. And it's funny, because like, that's supposed to be a getaway car. You'd think that would draw more attention. <laughs> I will say, I would not mind driving that car around town. Yet, you're right. In stealthiness, probably not the best. Yeah. I mean, it did look different, but, you know, they are going to draw attention at some point. And I love how they make fun of Ed's style. But does Ed really have a style? I feel like we've only seen him in the same outfit. Um, no, I don't mean... I guess he might, but you do bring up a good point. Like, he does wear kind of the same thing all the time and whatnot. It's hard to say that he does have a style, but he really enjoyed that gaudy-styled car, so, you know, to each their own, I guess. I think this is a peek into Ed's inner workings, like, what he what he dreams of his style being. Yeah, just the fact that, like, 
turning the car red or something probably would have done the trick, but he went all out and making it look different and just like, hey, this is my style. I also feel like we're seeing like a a looser Ed. He he doesn't seem as uh, serious at the moment. He's kind of just very chill and he's like, I'm relaxed and we're going to figure things out when we figure things out. But it doesn't seem like he's in the super serious mode right now, which I love because we got the car. True. He does seem laid back. I mean, that ends really quickly because it's like the next scenes we see him, he's sitting and thinking about where Al could possibly be and how important it is to meet up with them. But yeah, like at that point in time, he is very just chill and relaxed and we, we see a more humorous and funny and hum I guess just human side of him. Yes, and it is it is interesting like him thinking about where his brother is and his brother's with his father. We know of that. And it's just uh they're so far from each other, kinda. We gotta figure out how we're gonna get them together. I do Enjoy that the two Chimera guys are with them. And this kind of going back to the radio, it's a, another thing of how people are broken, I guess, or something that people would have thought not two seconds about. Like these two soldier Chimeras, uh, they were supposed to be killed. Or no, I'm thinking the other one, sorry. But these people that we wouldn't give a chance, the brothers have given a chance to. And they've turned to great allies for them. Yeah, Al didn't, or Al, Al tr- turned those other two, uh, Gerso and Zampano into allies, and Ed indirectly turned these guys into allies by saving their life when they were buried. Granted, it was a little self-serving because he needed them to help save his life, but still. And I like it, kind of this episode talking about like how the brothers go through towns or go meet through meet people and how they change their life like these people who are kind of stagnant in a sense where they're very into their own thing like uh, the doctor we met last season and then these chimera soldiers or rose in lior the whole town of lior they were kind of set on this certain path or saying in this feeling like they were destined for this one thing and the brothers come through even on their own mission, like they have their own goal at the end of the day, but them coming through these people's lives have changed their lives. Yeah. While they're trying to change their own lives and stuff, they're helping a lot of other people. So I'm really enjoying that. And I feel like, like that was the theme of this episode, like changing from the past. Like we we're able to change things like Hohenheim's trying to change things. And the brothers are changing people, and Lior is rebuilding itself. It's changing itself to a better town. Yeah, that is definitely a recurring theme. Like, just the brothers' presence makes the world better, makes the town better, makes Lior better. And, I mean, I think that's going to be a common theme through the whole show. Just, like, because we've seen it already happen a lot. Just the presence of the brothers has made people's life better. And ultimately, I think it's probably going to wind up, you know, saving the country or something like that. Yes. And lastly, in this episode, 
I'm so glad we get to see Ling again. And uh, even though he's stuck inside Greed, we know he's there. Uh, I think that's all I have on this episode. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm ready to jump into the next awesome. one. Awesome. Let's do that. And what is the next one called? The next one is called The Promised Day, which I found interesting because Hohenheim mentioned the Day of Reckoning. But anyway, let's get into it. So we pick up where we left off. Greed is attacking Wrath. He remembers how Wrath killed his friends in his previous life. And he is asking why Wrath killed them. Wrath and Greed fight a bit in the house, and Wrath is obviously able to get the upper hand, but Greed is no slouch himself. Wrath does try to decapitate Greed, but Greed hardens his skin, breaks the sword as a result, and runs away. Of course, while this is happening, Selim, well, who we now know as Pride, is watching, and he is kind of getting in a position to attack, but he never needs to because Wrath, you know, kind of dispatches with Greed and Greed leaves. We now see probably what I think is the funniest part of the episode in the Armstrong Manor. Uh, we see the Armstrong family, and clearly they are a powerful family of aristocrats. Olivier Armstrong is trying to convince her dad to retire and take a nice little vacation in a foreign land and to leave the estate to her. Now, their father, the patriarch of the Armstrong family, says that he was going to leave everything to Alex. Olivier objects as she sees Alex as the weaker one. Coincidentally, at this point, Alex steps in and their father asks Olivier and Alex to fight and whoever wins will become the head of the family. Olivier and Armstrong indeed, well, they decide to engage fighting. Uh, we only really hear this fight. We don't really see what's happening. The camera, for whatever folk, for <clears throat> the camera, for whatever reason, decides to just focus on like the family members as they're planning to leave and thinking on where to go and everything like that. But we do get to hear kind of the crashes and stuff of the fighting. Uh, towards the end, we really just get the idea that Olivier has gotten the drop on Alex and it is clear that Olivier is way stronger. She sheaths her sword and declares herself the successful winner and therefore the successor of the Armstrong family. Alex asks Olivier how she can be involved with the senior staff. Does she not know what they are doing? She acknowledges that she is aware of their treachery. At this point, Alex puts two and two together. He realizes that she told her family to leave uh, the country. That way, they cannot be used as hostages against her. We go to this town called Usewell, and May is arriving there by train. Well, she is confronted by some townspeople because they're kind of concerned to see a little girl out on her own and everything. They ask why she's in the town and she says, well, she's from Xing and she's returning home. Townspeople are concerned that she's going to cross the desert all by herself. They then offer her food for the trip. They offer her a place to stay overnight, hot shower, dinner, all of that stuff. They just show great hospitality. May starts to cry. Envy uses this opening to kind of manipulate her. He says, you know, these people are really nice and it's a shame that they're going to have to die later. But, you know, she's got her own thing to do. Uh, too bad he's like a half-dead homunculus. Surely that's not going to impress the Emperor. But, you know, Central City likely has the true answer to immortality. She should head back to Central to find it. And who knows, may give her the opportunity to save these people. 
This triggers her to decide to return to Central to help the people. Naturally, this is just Envy manipulating her because he figures if he can get to Central, he can find a Philosopher's Stone, and once he gets that, he can return to his old self. Ed and our two Chimera friends, Heinkel and Darius, uh, return to that hideout we saw in the earlier episodes where they capture Gluttony and he destroys the house and everything like that. They go there because you know, Ed figures, well, this is where Al would go to hide out. Well, when they walk in, they notice it's an empty house and the Chimera get angry at him, but then one of them smells an intruder. Well, it turns out it's our little friend Greedling. Ling is actually in control of him this time. He says he's hungry, and that's kind of the giveaway that it's actually Ling. Ed feeds him, and then Ed introduces him to Darius and Heinkel. Ling tells Ed that Greed had a following out with the other homunculi, and this caused him just great confusion. Ling used that opportunity to take control of the body. He needed to get out of Central, and the only place he could think of to go was this cabin. Ling tells them that Father is planning something. He said that Father is planning to open the portal. This is likely when Father is planning to activate the transmutation circle. Ling slowly starts to lose control as Greed has taken over the body again. Before Ling goes away, he asks about the message to Lan Fawn. Ed says she got it and she's doing fine. Ling is happy and Greed takes over. Greed gets up and leaves. He has really no interest in what's happening. Ed asks if Greed is even going to bother catching him, and Greed says, yeah, that's not going to happen. He explains everything that took place, and now he's riding solo. Ed offers to team up, and this kind of gives Greed a flashback to his old crew. But Greed then says, hey, I would never team up with you uh, because I want the world, and I like the world as it is. And Greed says, well, but hey, if you want to follow me, that's fine. Reed walks off, and he's kind of talking to himself, and he's pretending that he didn't want to be around them. But it's clear that despite what he says and what he collects, and having all those souls in him, he still feels an emptiness in him. Ling says that Greed should stop whining and give him his body back. Ling could become emperor and rule a whole nation. That should satisfy Greed's emptiness. Greed says ruling a country is cool, but it's too small. Rule of the world, that's what he wants. Ed and the Chimera catch up to Greed. Ed says that he'll follow them. The Chimera are not thrilled that Ed is volunteering them. But, you know, they, they are what they are. It is what it is. And they start beating him up. Ed is used to following military orders. After all, they're called dogs in the military. And so he doesn't mind following Greed. He's been following orders anyway, so what difference if he's following Greed? More importantly, Greed has valuable information that can help them. Greed relents and says, okay, whatever. Ed realizes he has Winry's earrings and just kind of acknowledges that he's not going to see her for a while. Back in Dublin, the employee at the butcher's shop is still being bothered by the military. He tells them that Izumi is gone and he has no idea when she's coming back. He takes a phone call, acts like it's a business call for order of meat do at five or whatever and they leave and say they'll come back it's actually to see on the phone izumi's husband he gives Sieg a message from al and hohenheim now we see this game of telephone take place uh, we see Sieg taking the note and then we also see a cutover 
to Briggs soldiers in the north, and they're under attack. It turns out it is Izumi who's attacking them. She is taken into custody, and she requests to see Miles and Buccaneer, who come in to check up on her. Izumi passes the message to Miles and Buccaneer, who in turn pass it to General Grumman in the east. General Grumman passes it to Rebecca, who is an old friend of Riza. Rebecca goes into Central, meets up with Riza to have coffee and talk about boys and all that fun stuff, shopping. Before leaving, she manages to sneak a note in Black Hayate, the uh, dog, his collar, and she says to say hi to Havoc. Riza puts this together and realizes, oh, I need to deliver this note to Havoc. So she goes to the hospital and gives Havoc some cigarettes as a parting gift. Uh, of course, the cigarettes have the note in them. As she leaves, we see that Mustang is actually in the room. Havoc offers Mustang a cigarette, and he points out that the cigarette is actually a rolled-up piece of paper. Mustang takes it, and it tells Mustang that the promised day is upon them, and next spring, that is when the north and the east will make their move. The credits roll, and it's a little different this time because it kind of catches up with where everybody is. And we see pretty much everybody where we think they're supposed to be, like Al and Lior and whatnot. We do see Scar and Marco in the desert going somewhere. And then we see them focus on Father and his remaining homunculi, all four of them, in Central. Post-credit, we see Mustang in the street drop the note and ignite it. So things are building up. This promise day is happening. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts. I love that we get to see Havoc again. Uh, he was one of my favorites back in the beginning, and I was so upset when he got sidelined. But he's back. Not in action, but he's giving out secret codes. It's great. I love kind of the the telephone game that they're playing where you know Al and Hohenheim have sent this message all the way to Mustang through all these people and it's great kind of seeing the whole team you know this is our team all these characters that pass this note around are our team and they're assembling Yes, and it's the way they're passing the note around is really cool, too, because it's not like, oh, I'm just, you know, handing over a piece of paper or whatnot. They're actually finding sneaky ways to pass it along so that they don't alert anybody to what they're planning. So to, like, an outsider looking in, it's just, oh, these girls are just hanging out, or, oh, there was an intruder and he was captured. Uh, or not he, she was captured, but then she wakes up, uh, she winds up having the note like she was purposely captured to give it, and she would only give it specifically to Miles and Buccaneer. So, yeah, it's really cool. I think to see how they're how smart they are on on putting all this out there. Yeah, and like a majority of this, I wouldn't say a majority of this episode, but half this episode is passing of the note, and the other half of the episode is kind of another character that we haven't seen in a long time. Yes, we saw greed in the last greed. What is it called? Greedling? Greedling, yeah. Greedling? We saw Greedling in the last episode, but now we get to see more of this character. And I didn't know how much I missed Ling until I saw him collapse of hunger on 
Ed's doorstep. And I was like, I miss this character so much. Yeah, Ling, even though he is like largely the comic relief in the show, I do like the depth of his character. Uh, he's a great fighter. He's super skilled. He cares about his people, all that stuff. So I did miss seeing like actual greed or actual Ling rather. But yeah, it is nice to also see kind of, I think the greed that we saw before, like we're seeing a third greed, it seems like, because we see this first greed uh, in the earlier episodes who just wanted to find the secret to immortality and kidnapped Alphonse and everything. And then we have the second greed, which just seemed to be another lapdog for, uh, for, excuse me, for the father. And then now we see like this other greed who he's kind of like the first greed, but like now he seems to be more self-aware thanks to Ling. And he seems to like notice that he has an emptiness that he's trying to fill and he's filling it with stuff and whatnot. And you could tell he really does want human connection, but he doesn't want to admit it. So he just kind of says, hey, yeah, you guys are my followers now kind of thing. It is interesting, this Greedling character um, that we got going on. Because I do feel like we're going to see this uh, back and forth between the two of them now. And uh, it was great seeing Ling again. I really just enjoyed it. And I loved how we still got that comical part of Ling is always very hungry. And he's always starving for some reason. But then we see like that serious side you were talking about. Because after he's full and he's sitting down and he's talking to Ed. He really gets down to business. He's like, hey, did you... Did you pass that note? He wants to make sure all of his plans are in line as well because he knows that his time in control is very fleeting because it really took a very weak moment where Greed was beat up by uh, Wrath for Ling to take over. So he knew his time was very short. So he needed to get, he needed to make sure everything was happening. Yes, he wanted to have that control. He wanted to get the information out. He didn't get all the information out, which I think is why Ed is interested in following Greed. Like, it was clear that there was more, but he did give a large, large amount of information out, at least large enough to where Ed can act on it because he helped put two and two together on what Hohenheim, not what Hohenheim, what Father is planning because, you know, okay, they're creating a large transmutation circle, but for what? Obviously, we know he wants to create a Philosopher's Stone, because that's what he did the last time they did create a large transmutation circle. But to to what avail? Like, he already has his body. He's already, you know, super powerful and stuff. What else does he want? And he is trying to open the portal. And they mentioned something about they have to pay a toll to open the portal. So maybe that's what he wants to create the philosopher's stone for. Like he wants to open the portal and get something terrible out. That would be my guess. Like something that is, we learn about like, if you get so much knowledge or get so much power or whatnot, based on what you're willing to give up. And maybe if he's willing to sacrifice the whole country, he's looking to get something in return. I don't know, but I, I, it definitely tells them, gives them a little more insight on what's happening. I also wonder if this has always been a problem with greed because we, the last greed we saw uh, like uh, had a split with the other homunculi 
Like he wasn't really a part of that group. And we're seeing it again with this greed. Is greed just, is that it's greed's nature to, because it wants everything for itself, that it just has its own plan? I think so. I think because we what we know about uh, all the homunculi is that they were father's attempt to purge himself of his sins. And so like, uh, like wrath is his wrath and greed is obviously his greed. So if greed, his character is supposed to be just a pure greedy character. I don't think he'd be happy with playing second fiddle to father. Like he wants his own stuff. He wants his, his way. Like he doesn't want to, be a lackey. So I think that's what ultimately led to the falling out and him becoming his own thing and creating his own crew and doublet and everything. It is, it does feel like we're going to get this greedling hybrid. Like we were, I was talking about earlier, just because it seems like greed does want kind of this relationship or this more human side. And he's got like a human in him. So maybe they could find a way to share this if their goals can align and they could find a way to live with each other. Cause I do, I never, I don't think they'll ever be truly separated from each other. Yeah. I think that's what we're starting to see is that Ling, you know, the fact that Ling is still in, is still kind of in control, not necessarily in control, but he is still like a single entity within, uh, within greed. So it's like they're sharing a body, but it's two separate minds. And we see that, Ling is able to have actual conversations with Greed inside of their head. Ling is definitely run, rubbing off on Greed uh, and making him, I think, see more of his true self or what he really wants in life and stuff. So, yeah, I think that's where we're we're going to continue to get like this Greeling thing, like this this new Greed that is definitely being influenced by Ling's personality. Even that, like when you think about the old Greed. The old Greed surrounded himself with like uh, kind of a makeshift family that he had. And we see the flashbacks come back to mm-hmm. this new Greed that maybe there is a desire that he doesn't want to just be alone, that he does want this more interaction with people. Yeah, I think he's a little bit in denial about it because at some point he mentions that he has like mil- or thousands of souls in him. And even with the thousands of souls, he still feels empty. And so I think he might think, well, I don't need people. Clearly, it's like things like that's what's going to fill the emptiness in me. But I think also my guess is that those souls, like even though they're a part of him, they're not really a part of him. Like they are just noise in him, but they're not like his friends or anything. So maybe he just, I don't know, doesn't see it the proper way. But I do think he definitely wants connection because we also see he doesn't get angry over the loss of like his items or the fact that, you know, he, they likely destroyed his items when the soldiers took over his, his, uh, his base of operations and stuff. He was upset that they killed his friends, his comrades. So I think that's what really matters to him, whether he will admit it or not. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really hoping, well, I'm, I'm probably for sure. Cause Ed's got some kind of plan. He wouldn't just go along with greed if he didn't, really think that there was something more to this. So I'm, I really am hoping because there was a hesitation when Ed asked Greed to join his crew. Probably. I mean, I think, I think Ed is playing a long game. So on one hand, I think 
Ed needs the information that Greed has to to kind of dismantle their plan. But on the flip side, I think he knows Greed might be a useful ally because clearly Greed is not on the side of the other homunculi or father. But being a homunculus himself, he might give them an edge in fighting them. So that's probably what Greed's play is at this point, or what Ed's play is with Greed is follow along and stuff. They're kind of aligned because they both are after kind of stopping father, though their motivations seem to be different. So, you know, I think he's just hoping that, uh, hey, this will all work out. And what a great moment when Greedling comes in the shelter and he's all hungry. And then the two Chimera guys are like, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm a homunculus as well. It's just just hilarious how he lays it out like that. Yeah, he doesn't even try to hide it or something or just say, oh, I'm an old friend or whatever. He's like, I'm a homunculus. And I hope that's just like Ling's humor. But it could just be like, hey, I got to get straight to the point. I don't have much time. These are the facts, guys. But I do love he said that. Yeah, I do like I do like the old Ling humor and stuff. But I think I'm hoping that this is going to result in them switching bodies more often or at least us getting more more ling and less greed though you know i mean i'm liking greed as well but yeah and i I almost forgot about this part but it was like something i've been asking for in a long time is a armstrong family reunion and we got an armstrong family reunion in this episode yes and we clearly discovered who the strongest one is and it is not alex as you would assume true but do you think i don't know do you think he's holding back? Um, maybe. He def I mean, maybe but maybe not because he definitely seemed upset that she made the proposal to father or to their father rather, uh that Olivier be the lead instead of Alex. So it's not like Alex really did want to fight. But I don't really remember seeing any alchemy being used in the fight you know i know they're both very strong people but i mean when you're in a fight for control of a company and you feel like your sister's maybe making the wrong decision maybe it's time to bust out some of those sweet alchemy moves uh maybe but i also think maybe he was just trying to fight fair because olivier isn't an alchemist so, you know, give, if he fought with alchemy, when she doesn't have it, it wouldn't have been an equal fight because he would have had an unfair advantage because, you know, he could have he could fight at a distance and everything, whereas they wanted to go toe to toe. And so I, there, there's also that possibility. I just I don't know if I mean, she she is a strong person, like she's a strong individual, but I don't know, like we Major Armstrong is such a gentle character. I do feel like he does like keep it in. Like he doesn't want to attack or be too aggressive. And I, I, my heart breaks for him sometimes. All right, in this episode, when it just seems like his sisters, she, she has a plan, and she's got to keep him in somewhat of the dark in it. But it just seems like. And it's like this weird 
hurting him in a way. She's like she's sending the family away, but she's not really folding him into what her plan is. She isn't. Like it's clear that she is up to something. I just don't think she likes him all that much. Like I don't think she necessarily hates him or anything, but she just sees him as weak. So she doesn't really want to let him in on it all. That that'd be my guess. I do feel like maybe we're in for a kind of where he steps up and he like rises up to her level. Like he has to save her somehow. I feel like maybe we're setting something up for that, but it just was like very sad that like at the end, she's like, get out of my house. You're going to stink it out with your failure. True. That is very true. And she's, she's got something planned. Obviously I'm just kind of curious what it is. And if she will let Alex in on it, I'm sure at some point she will. It is clear from that message at the end that she's planning on teaming up with the East people. Like when they met, when it says East and North will make their move. I think that's a clear reference to the Northern troops, Briggs. And then of course the Eastern troops, Mustang and Grumman's people. So they're, they're going to team up together. But when you think about these two groups, Major Armstrong is not really in either one of them. He's kind of on the out, like he's the outer ring of the Mustang group. And his sister's like, probably like, you can't be in my team. We'll see. Even if, even if the North won't allow, I'm pretty sure that Mustang will let him join. I just want him to be more, I want to give him a hug. I feel like he needs a hug right now and I want to give it to him. He does. Maybe somebody will give him one later. Maybe they'll maybe they'll change their mind and uh, be friendly next episode or something. Let's hope so. Or maybe like on the very last episode. I do think this is normal though, because when his parents were leaving and his sister were leaving, because uh, they're going to Xing for vacation and they're leaving, they're like, "What should we? What gifts should we bring back for them? What souvenirs should we bring back for them?" They, it feels like. This happens often, and they always come back to, like, maybe not, like, a loving kind of area, but at least back to neutral. Because they were talking about, we're going to bring them back a statue. True. Like, the entire family seemed very undisturbed about the fact that they were fighting so rough against each other. Like, it, it was a pretty common occurrence. And I do, like, I don't know what, uh, do you know his younger sister's name? Uh, I th- maybe it was Catherine. I, I, th- I feel like it was Catherine. I don't remember off the top of my head. I do like as they're leaving, she's like, you can do this. Don't give up to her brother. It feels like he's always on the losing end. Cause like, that's like an encouragement. Hey, maybe this is your time. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, we'll see what winds up happening to them. I hope they wind up teaming up because clearly they're two great fighters. So I love that. I'm glad I, you know, I've been wanting the Armstrong family reunion. I'm glad we got it. It was not everything I wanted, but it was very close. Yep, it was. Well, it was still pretty funny. It was probably the funniest part of this episode. Oh, I beg to differ on that one. Because I think the funniest part of this episode is where teacher Azumi is fighting them and she... They're like, we're being attacked. Like, who's attacking you? And she's like, a housewife. I loved that line. It was hilarious. It was the best thing. 
Uh, yeah, I guess that one was pretty funny. I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree on that one. But yes, I will agree the housewife thing was funny. I I just like how she kind of she defines herself as a housewife more than just like this amazing alchemist. And I like True. that kind of thing. She's like, I'm just a simple housewife. But in reality, she's like an amazing fighter slash alchemist and secret agent as well. <laughs> Indeed. But I am loving it. I'm loving the code being passed through. And now we're now we see all the players for sure. And uh, maybe there's more. Yep, this is definitely how they're going to team up because Hohenheim informed Al and Al's chain about the promised day and no doubt Greed is going to inform Edward. So this is absolutely how they're going to meet up and I guess we're just going to have to keep watching to figure out how that manifests. Yep, I'm excited. Uh, but yeah. Yep, do you have anything else? Nope, that's it for me. Cool, well thank you all for listening as always and we can't wait to hear from you again. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy. Bye. Bye.